log of Dr. Cygnus Collodi, day last. Yes, today will be my final log on this misguided experiment. I've solved it! With the aid of my research assistant, I have finally isolated the root of this unyielding infection. And with this knowledge, I can finally rid myself of that grinning specter. There are dangers, of course, but I have taken precautions to protect myself. Colody, Miss Ein, I request that you stay away from the subject. The subject? Wait, what's what's going on? Is that stay back, Ein? Colody, this is not what I meant. That is irrelevant. You know what she can do. She isn't here. Okay, um, hi, welcome to Quest Friends. We are a Numenera actual play podcast. If you're checking us out for the first time because this is the start of a brand new arc, thank you so much for considering us. I would encourage you to check out episode 34, Ellie's Memory Part 1, because we're now at the point of the story where things are really going to start moving along quickly. So I would encourage you to go back there, try that out. That being said, if you want to stick around for this episode, see if you like the show, let's all introduce ourselves. So, I am Kyle, I am the GM, my pronouns are he, him, I am the kind of arbiter of the rules and the story in this world, I'm anyone who's not a main character, I'm the world itself, I do everything except for play the four people that all the players are going to describe themselves as, so who wants to introduce themselves? My name is Tom, I use he, him pronouns, I play Shock, who also uses he, him pronouns, and Shock is a Bosian nano who talks to machines. And what does Bosian mean in this context? Uh, that means that my good boy Shock is originally from a place called the Wheel of Boz, a hidden sanctuary for intelligent machines, even though Shock himself is a, uh, a human boy. Uh... I'm Emily. <laughs> I'm Emily. I use she her pronouns and I play Ellie Badge who also uses she her pronouns. Ellie is a and I remember it this time because I looked it up right before. Ellie is a perceptive glaive who fuses flesh and steel. I'm Ari, my pronouns are she her. I play Misha. Their pronouns are they them and they are an artificially intelligent nano who speaks to the data sphere. And they are actually an android that... Do I, do I explain more what Misha is? Well, or Well, they're an android, but kind of. We'll get into that with the summary. Yeah, yeah. All right, and then Hallie. I'm Hallie. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. I play Hopper Scotch, an honorable Jack who meets out justice, and his pronouns are he, him. And then I'm also Ness. Should I say Ness? Yeah. Ness. Ness doesn't have a sentence. He doesn't have a sentence. He's just a small robot. But his pronouns are also he, him. He's a small robot who thinks he will cause problems on purpose. Who will cause problems on purpose? Kyle, please. 
So those are all of our characters. But again, if you're listening to this episode, you probably know who they are. You probably have also listened to the story so far, but that being said, there has been a lot of plot that has happened now, and we are now reaching the part of the story where the plot is really, the threads are coming together. The puzzle is now revealing itself and its magnificent design, its elegant design. I use the word design twice. So what we're actually going to do is we're going to do a summary of the story so far. I figure I'll just do the story so far. Does someone want to do the story so far? Be our guest. All right, so one billion years in the future, four adventurers, all of whom we've just described like five seconds ago, woke up a giant evil cloud of spiders called the Apocrita. The Apocrita is an evil hive mind thing that traps its victims in their most important memory, forcing you to re-loop through your most important memory over and over and over again. It uses this to access its victims' other memories and create obsidian replicas of those victims, which it can then use as soldiers. 40 or so years ago, a group of heroes called the Heroes of Navarine thwarted the Apocrita, but now it's back with a vengeance, and it has consumed all but two members of the original Heroes of Navarine, Sunny and Myra, who fuse to become someone called the Professor. Or they used to, they don't anymore. But the Apocrita and Aegon, the person piloting it, aren't the only big bad villains on the block. Last arc, we dealt with the Jagged Dream, a doomsday cult that believes conflict brings about change. As of this point, they're pretty much out of commission. Their three leaders are the Blue Fairy, who is dead, Vera, who is not dead but can't really do anything, and then Ezra, who is also dead. But I put Ezra last because Ezra is unique in that he comes from the data sphere, this kind of atmosphere. It's like the internet and atmosphere combined into one. He is a being from the data sphere called Stratic Life that has possessed a machine, which we're very acutely aware with as our dear, dear pal Misha has been doing the same thing all along. Although there wasn't like a machine in there. It's not like there was a machine that Misha kicked out. Like Misha is from the data sphere, but inhabiting a machine body. But it's not like Castile from Supernatural where there's this weird messed up thing where somebody had to like give up their body for Misha. That's not going on. Oh, thank God. God. That gets really awkward really quick. Was this your plan all along to make it a Castile reference? Honestly, I only pieced it together right now. <laughs> so no. I love it. Our secondary villain also comes from the Data Sphere. She has not been defeated yet. Her name is the Lady with Cinnabar Lips. She is a malevolent force from the Data Sphere who is extremely possessive of Misha. She can influence what Misha sees, has limited influence on Misha's emotions, and when her influence grows, Misha's red eye, because Misha has one red eye, glows. And then finally, our final villain, who has also been defeated, is Ellie Badge. <laughs> rude. Whatever. <laughs> Fucking rude. <laughs> Wow, disrespect. So, uh, Ellie, who after the death of her husband, Carl, spent about 50 years just self-sabotaging and ruining every relationship in her life. But now, she has a steady girlfriend, and she's adopted many children. So things are actually, things are going pretty well for Ellie. But they weren't for about 50 years or so. <laughs> she's doing really well now. 
Anyways, why I mentioned those three villains will become very apparent as this plot continues forward, but for right now, forget all of them because we're focusing on the Apocrita. Specifically, our heroes are driving eastward into the beyond to hunt down the ruins of a kingdom called Prilema, a floating kingdom that originally fought the Apocrita and created an artifact called Red's Blessing, a spear that allows for a confrontation on the battlefield of memory. It's always night in the Ba'adenu forest, the part you're in, at least. This gargantuan woodland is so wide, you've driven through every climate imaginable, from dry Midwest woodlands to rainy, tangled jungles, to here, on the easternmost edge, where you find yourself pushing through a miles-wide bog with a canopy so thick, not a single beam of light can worm itself through. You've been driving for a while now, I believe I said a few weeks last episode, and according to Kubo's calculations, you're pretty close to where the ruins that contain Red's Blessing should be. That being said, you're all except for, I guess, half of you, if you encounter Kubo. Okay, so half of you are human and need to eat. Au contraire, mon frere. <laughs> Hop is no longer depressed, he actually eats now. Yeah, he does. So Hop and Ellie have gone to get supplies. I'll uh, explain where Misha is in a moment. Ness is doing something. I didn't even write down what Ness was doing. I just assumed he was harassing Cubo. Ness, yes. Ness is sitting next to Cubo going, so, um, what do you know about this forest? But then every time Cubo starts to answer the question, Ness just cuts him off and asks, this forest is... Okay, yeah, but like, what about this other thing? Do you know how to make scrambled eggs? <laughs> the ingredients for scrambled eggs cannot be found in the eastern edge so of the So if you have a plate and you throw it at like 10 miles an hour, how far would it have to go before it breaks? Well, that's an interesting question. It really depends on how much information- Are cows still real? <laughs> are what? Cows. Cows. Cows aren't real in the ninth world. I don't know. Are they in the ninth world? No. Cows, cows are real, but they look like the YouTube video Cows and Cows and Cows. No. Oh, yes. Oh, that's the best version of cows. Did it, did it, did it. No. Have you seen Cows and Cows and Cows, Hallie? It's a masterpiece. We're going to watch Cows and Cows and Cows after this. No. No. We don't have to keep playing that scene, but that's what Ness is doing, just being a nuisance. Okay. Unessence. <laughs> In essence, he's being unessence. Unnecessary. <laughs> and Shock, what are you doing? Shock has wandered out on his own uh, along the edge of the marshland because we we're right at the edge where it's by that like that inland sea on the map, right? Yes. Yeah. So Shock is going to stare out across the water. He's unsure of the exact angle, but on the other side of that sea is the place he grew up, the Wheel of Boz, and he's just staring at a sea that he has not been to in a long time. He might occasionally, like, throw a skipping stone out or something. You know, for how easy it is to forget a lot of things you learned growing up, you've never forgot how to skip stones. What was that first time like when you skipped stones in the wheel? Shock was confused at first because he had only ever heard about it. He hadn't seen any of the other machines there try it. So he just started as a little little kiddo just picking up rocks and throwing them into the water so they would just sink. 
until it was actually Horus who came over and showed him that there was a, a trick to it. It was nice seeing the rock bounce across the waves. Even though he technically sort of could do magic at that point, it was the first time he felt like he was doing magic, manipulating how the world works. And of course, J. Kell didn't necessarily approve of this frivolous use of time. Wasn't necessarily the best use of learning mathematics and geometries. Geometries and geometry. I learned many geometries that day. <laughs> <laughs> But it was your and Horace's little secret. Mm -hmm. Those were nice secrets. They didn't hurt as much as the ones you've got now. And as you're skipping stones, you just hear a voice from behind you say, Hey, buddy. Hey, friend. And out of your periphery, you can see Lowell staring out at the sea. And he pauses for a moment and he says, Hey, Shock, I, I want to show you something. I don't suppose I have a choice in the matter. <laughs> well, you know, not particularly, but it's important. You could stand to learn a thing or two about asking people what they want first, but sure, let's see it. And as you say that, lights start to shine down on where you are, but they don't show the sea and the bog and the little animals going bloop, bloop, bloop around you. It instead shows the sidewalk of a chrome-filled, glistening city. As you look around you, you see, you see what you could only describe as one cipher turned into an entire city. If you took the technology found in a single cipher and you actually organized it, you actually made it into something cohesive rather than just slammed a bunch of different old things together. It's sleek, it's elegant. You see more people than can even be found in Key bustling from the streets, moving busily from place to place. And although you don't know where you are, you have a vague idea when you are. So this would be a, a past world, right? Yep. And Lowell, who seems to have decorated himself in some of the uh, flashier clothing of this era, it's very, like, reflective almost, says, Welcome to Voss, the greatest civilization of the sixth world. What was it like? Honestly, I don't know. The Apocrita only stopped by here once, uh, and it was pretty quickly driven out. This spot we're standing in right now is really all we know of this city. Well, of this city at that time. And as he says that, suddenly you see the metal on the buildings around you crinkle and rust and start to fall off. The people start to disappear and fade away into dust. And the ground beneath you cracks into so many pieces, there are eventually more cracks than there is solid ground to stand on. And as you stand in these deserty ruins, wind whistling completely new tunes through the gaps in the bars of where the buildings used to be. Well continues. When I learned that Prilema wasn't the first place the Apocrita hit, I was determined to, uh, I don't know, I thought if I could see every place it had been, I could understand it in some way. When I went looking for Voss, all I found was this. And that's when I realized that was all I needed to know about Voss. Feels like a very cynical take on everything. Is it, though? The first step to solving something is to figure out what the problem is in the first place. And as we can see here, change! And his voice echoes throughout the empty area. 
can only bring one thing. Now I made a career saving as many people as I could. But the Jagan Dream's right, Shock. For things to change, things have to die. Now do you really want this, and he points to the ruins, to be our legacy? I, and maybe this is because I'm still a bit, a bit young, but I'm not particularly concerned with legacies at my point in life. I'm afraid of people dying too. It's sad to see all these things and people that once were that aren't anymore. Makes you wonder why it had to happen. But we wouldn't exist otherwise. Nothing would. You know, you're right. I misspoke about legacy and all that. Because you're right. Who really does care about all that nonsense? No, this is... This is what matters. And he plucks a photograph out of his pocket. And even before he hands it to you, you know what it shows. Shock takes a picture of the heroes of Navarine and looks at it and says, And yet we keep coming back to this. When I took that picture for the first time, I thought it was a cute sentiment. You know, the idea that they had said, Oh, it traps your souls, it can keep them safe and preserved forever. But people don't say safe forever, do they? And as you look down on the photo, you can see everyone start to fade and age. You can see wear and tear start to weigh down on Shreddy, who starts to tilt down. You can see one of Mako's two arms disappear from his body. And you can see the professor disappear entirely. You know, I really oughtn't nitpick this vision of yours, but you do recognize that that was their choice. Sonny and Myra prefer the way they are now to the way they were before. Nitpick my vision, huh? Okay. <laughs> all right, all right, cool, cool. Yeah, you know what? You're right. Why, why are we nitpicking my vision? Let's take a look at yours. And suddenly, Shock, you are flashing through a series of memories. You see Jesse stumbling with this giant blundering sack into Hopper Scotch while you're waiting in line in Charmande. You see Zoe's exuberant face as Ellie invites her to come along and join the party. Vespari as he ferociously fights as Dr. Silversteel, conqueror of the cosmos. You hear kazoo songs over the crackling of the campfire. Feel a pinky promise shared between four friends. And you re-experience again so many hugs. One deep in the heart of Charmande, as you see Hopper Scotch again, someone you thought you'd never see. One as a small robot child who you've saved for the second time in a row, finally acknowledges how much he cares. And one as you convince Misha that they don't have to go on their own, and they can stay with you and everyone else in Fasten. And it ends on one last memory. Deep in the heart of Charmande, as the engine thumps and overheats, you know, the thump, 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 and you see a perplexed Misha ask you, What is day? And you comfortingly respond, it, It's when you don't come back, but I am going to come back. But you can't, huh? In the cosmic scale, you can't come back, can you, buddy? No, all of this, every moment, every experience, all of it, poof, gone. No one to remember it, no one to experience it, as if it never happened in the first place. But it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way, Shock. 
with the Apocrypha, nobody ever has to come back because nobody ever leaves. Shark's gonna take a deep breath, uh, swallow a little bit, unclench his teeth, and say, if a book sits on a shelf somewhere, no one reads it ever. Does it even really exist? Is that alive to you? Is that saved? Is that what you want to be? Just nothing forever? And the wall turns away from you. And for one last time, your view changes. And you're in a small village house with a table and a bookshelf. Well, I suppose that's the choice you're going to have to make, huh? What would you rather be? A book on a shelf or kindling in a fire? And with that, everything goes black again. And you can hold, only hear the bloop, bloop, bloop of the creatures in the swamp of the Baodena forest. Asshole has to get in the last word, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll be seen. All right, Shock. So, well, over the past couple weeks, we didn't mention this last episode because we wanted it to be kind of bright and fun. Uh, Lowell's been talking to you a lot. He's been contacting you. He's been Skyping you. He's been sending texts. Force time. He's been a real asshole. But he's also been a real desperate asshole. You learn pretty early on two things. One he wants to get all the heroes of Navarine. He's real keen on getting the professor back. And two, because the Apocrita isn't quite at full strength like it used to be back when, you know, 40 years ago, he can't just go barging in the cities like, hey, it's me. It's me. And just like hoovering up entire cities. So he needs your help in order to find Myra and Sonny, or as he continues to call them, the professor. And I'm assuming Shock has taken none of that nonsense. Oh, no. How, how have these how have these calls been going? Like, I, I want to kind of snapshot on like how the calls have been going these past few weeks. This is the first time he's pulled the I want to show you something gambit. Shock initially took the tact he did back on the prodigious for maybe the first one or two times where he wasn't really responsive, did his best to ignore Lowell, tried to annoy him that way. As Lowell made it clear that he was going to keep trying, uh, Shock also tried experimenting a little bit. He started blindfolding himself to see if that would also blind Lowell. The problem being that he doesn't actually have a way to know, even if Lowell indicated in some way that he couldn't see. He had no way of knowing if that's the truth or not. Um, when has Lowell ever lied to you, Tom? Name one time he's lied uh, to you. Well, actually. <laughs> so Shock did experiment a little bit because he's still anxious about the fact that he could potentially be a liability since Lowell can always sense where he is and uh, get an impression of where, where the party is from Shock. But he did eventually speak to him again. Much like the scene we just played out, I imagine it's been a dance back and forth of each getting under the other's skin. Uh, Lowell is very quick to anger, which is amusing and useful for shock, but then always leads to some kind of retaliation like that last train of memories. Oh, and don't forget, there is one more thing that always happens after Lowell contacts, inevitably, as if they're reading your mind, you hear a... Hi. Hey, Shock. How's it going? Oh, you know, same as usual. Just on the run, hunted by someone who's in my very mind. And just talking to him openly, it looks like. The exact thing we told you not to do, Shock. 
I don't really have full control over that. Okay, Shock, considering how much you hung up on us and just chose not to speak, I think you always have the choice to close them pearly whites of yours. Just because he opens up communication doesn't mean you have to actually say anything. I appreciate your concern, but I don't think he's learned anything especially valuable from this last talk. Why are you so determined to talk to this boy? That's an interesting way of phrasing it. I would hope it's a good idea to try to save everyone, even people who might be lost causes. Oh, shock, that's so sweet of you. That's exactly why you're grounded. Because, Shock, you have been, uh, just a little bit of exposition, you have been grounded for the past however many weeks you've been on the road, which means that you have to pick up the Nano Spirit's calls, and you just don't get magic, unless they say you can use magic. Considering how bad of shenanigans your magic has got into you in the past, the Nano Spirits, and they claim they've consulted with Horus on this, have decided that the best thing to do is maybe limit your magical expertise, because you seem so convinced that you can save folks. Like, you know, like Lowell. Or that other one! Shock is going to take a few moments in-universe as well to, you know, count to five, be nice, not, not <laughs> say something angry and snappy, and say, I would hope that if you have appointed yourselves, my parents, then you would set a good example and treat others with some basic amount of respect. Snap. This is why Shock's still grounded. (laughs) Only when you treat yourself with the same respect, Shock. I'm going to cut it off there. Oh, are they going to hang up on me? I was just going to hang up on the... I was going to stop the scene, but you can continue if you want. No, no, shock shock his words from... Look, look, (laughs) if the nano spirits want to be pissy about us not talking to them because there's not enough screen time, (laughs) then I'll I'll fucking give them all the screen time they want. Shock wants to have words with them. No, no, no. The scream time. Yeah, it's the scream time now. Lay into him. I can understand if you are uninterested in giving me magic, but you are not in a position to dictate how I live my life. This is what I do. I travel around. There are adventures, there's danger. Half of the spells I have built for myself over the last half year have related to fighting and danger in some way. There will always be risks And that means I'm going to try to save people, and I will use my powers to help people. Yes, Shock, we understand that. But a large part of this patron relationship we've formed is a bit of trust. And how are we supposed to trust you when you haven't been trusting us since this whole thing started, huh? Since you've been hanging up and ignoring our warnings, and then, surprise, surprise, a ship collapses. I feel like that last thing is not related to any of the other things you've said, but that's not the point. I'm getting off topic. Point is, if you want to talk about trust, you want to talk about a patron and wizard relationship, then fine. Why are you so afraid of Misha Jarvis? Tell me. Tell me everything you know about whatever that thing is out there in the data sphere that's trying to get Misha. If there's someone I should be afraid of, Surely that would be useful knowledge, but I would need to have. Otherwise, I might head head first into danger without any way of knowing otherwise. 
What you need to know about the lady with cinnabar lips is that she is the most single-minded and hate-filled piece of stratic life we have ever had the misfortune to encounter. You also need to know another thing, Shock. She isn't pursuing that Misha Jarvis. She is that Misha Jarvis. to the announcement break for Quest Friends episode 59, One Neon Night, part one. We're on to a new arc at long last. Our intro song, however, is still Friends by Miracle of Sound. Okay, so I've got a pretty big topic I want to discuss today, but before I get to that, I had two quick announcements I wanted to talk about. The first one is that Pontifax, who we brought on for our Christmas holiday special thing back at the end of 2019, actually just did a D&D anniversary special starring them and a bunch of other podcasts as they played a cast of characters trying to kidnap the Pope. And one of the players was Ari. So if you want to see Ari basically take on the role of Hopper Scotch and try to corral a bunch of children as they try to steal the Pope... Check out the link to part one of Pontifex Kidnap Dat Pope, which is linked below. Additionally, and this is something I actually referenced last episode, we are actually recording our next session on this upcoming Saturday, Saturday the 13th. Now, normally that's not big news. We record a session every month or so, but... This session is actually, I'm going to need a bit of your help for this one, because there is going to be a thing in that session, in that session only, that I need listener prompts for. So what we're going to be doing is over the course of the rest of this week on all of our social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and then on the website, if you don't have any of those other social media accounts, we're going to be asking for a few listener prompts, which are then going to appear in the episodes that next Saturday session is related to. So basically just keep an eye out on all of our social media accounts. And if you don't have any of those, check our website in, I don't know, a day or so. It might not be up right away, but it will be up relatively soon. All right, with both of those out of the way, let's move on to the big topic of the week. And for anyone who's listening in the future and might not immediately know what the topic of the week is, I would like to remind you that you can always check content warnings in the descriptions of our episodes. So, between last episode and this episode, George Floyd, a resident of St. Louis Park, Minnesota, was murdered by Minneapolis police in an event that is depressingly common. Since then, protests have erupted across the United States of America and the globe, calling not only for justice for George Floyd, but justice for all of those black Americans who have died thanks to white supremacy, systematic inequality, and police brutality. Additionally, many organizations some in good faith and some chasing clout, have made public statements regarding the protests. And I'm sure there are at least a few of you who want to know what is, what is Quest Friends stance. Quest Friends stands in full support of the protests in the wake of George Floyd's death. 
We believe that black lives matter, that systematic inequality and white supremacy are still very prevalent in American society and are vital contributors to George Floyd's death. And we believe that abolition of the police and prison system are vital to combating those inequalities. Racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, aphobia, and ableism have no place in our program or our community. And we will continue to not only correct ourselves when they appear, but to use our platform to push against these toxic ideals. Lastly, and this cannot be overstated, we believe that these stances are not exceptional, radical, or deserving of praise. They are the bare minimum any organization should be doing. So if you're curious what we're doing, you can find a link below to questfriendspodcast.com where I've done a news article that's gone over our stance and also what we all plan on doing. I originally was going to have it in the announcement break, but it ended up taking like 10 minutes and it's just a lot easier to read than it is to hear me try to rattle off all my thoughts. Additionally, in the description below, you can find a beginner's guide to systematic inequality and a brief explanation of what a police-free world might look like. What does abolition mean? I've also linked below a document that's really been plastered all over the internet, but that's because it's a very good resource talking about education and actions that can be taken in support of Black Lives Matter. If you're able to look at one thing, please make it that resource. And don't let this topic fade when we get out in a month into the future. Systematic change and justice requires daily work over the course of years and even decades. And there are people who have been putting in that work. And if we want to support them, either in the form of signing petitions or doing monthly donations or something else, we need to be showing up consistently. We can't just wait for another crisis to support our neighbors. All right, that's all I've got for you today. I hope you're enjoying our first foray into our brand new arc, and I will see you for our next episode, which is releasing on Monday, June 22nd. I'll see you then. I said before that the Ba'adenu forest is completely dark, save for those few creatures foolish enough to light themselves up. But that's not entirely true, because while Shock, Hop, Ness, Ellie, and Kubo might claim that the swamplands don't have much to see, you, Misha, can sense that it's dense with activity. Before you glow creatures made of light and sound that make no sense in the physical world but layered on top of it feel completely in place. You've stepped away from the group, as you have a few times before on this trip, to take in the life and strife you didn't know you knew, to observe the home that you're still surprised to learn you came from, to watch the data sphere. And as you're sitting here watching the data sphere and experiencing it, you're thinking of your memories. Ever since you became the prodigious patron, you took that first step into the data sphere, most of your memories have come back in fragments. It's almost like someone, you know, connecting to a cloud backup. But all these fragments of memories are jumbled and devoid of context, like pieces from dozens of different puzzles all thrown into the same box. You remember a few things. Oddly, the memory of your first month awake that started in Legrash has all come back in full, 
almost as if someone else has put the pieces together for you. There's also this song emanating from you, surrounding you. You're not sure, and you've been hearing it ever since the prodigious incident. But the funny thing about this song is it doesn't feel like it's playing for the first time. It feels like that song has always been there. You've just been noticing it for the first time. over this, you know, past weeks or however long it's been, they have just been slowly coping with the fact that, you know, they are getting all of these memories that were like long gone and now they're back, but they still do not really make sense of a lot of them, as you mentioned. Um, because of how this has been like so continuous in a way, they have been a little bit disoriented about it for a, for a while, which is why sometimes they just like have been just separating them from the group, but not too much uh, to just kind of take everything in as well as the new things that they can see with the data sphere. And there's something that they realized that they should have done a long time ago, but they forgot that they even needed to do that. What they've been trying to do and like why they are isolating themselves a little bit is because they have been trying to do something similar to what Shock, they have seen Shock do, which is they've been trying to contact the data sphere. Usually like when they ask things, they just Google a sentence, but they actually want to get a little bit more contact on it. Oh, you want you want to talk to a ghost? They want to talk to a ghost. You know, I've heard there's some nano spirits around. Well, not with the nano spirits necessarily, because they don't think that the nano, nano spirits can tell Misha what they need to know. Okay, so what? Uh, tell me what ability you're using because this is your new your new ability. It's called Talk to the Data Sphere. Basically, it says that I am able to open up communication with a specific instance of static life for a short period of time. Uh, I can communicate with it and ask them something that they know. I'm limited by what they know and how they're willing to share information. Uh, and I get assets to roles and stuff like that. Okay. What kind of ghost we calling down today? <sighs> I don't know. Someone that is from Legrash, I guess? So some Stratic life that's been around Legrash before? Yeah, that might have been there. Okay. Recently. Yeah. Describe how Misha calls upon the Stratic life. Upon their brethren. Yeah. So basically, I mean, first, they have been trying to do this like a couple times, but they kind of have gotten cold feet well, right as they are kind of like getting the hang of it. And they just like, basically, it's not really hanging up. It's like when you call and they, they, nobody has picked up and you're just like, are like, all right, no, I'm out. But this time they kind of were like, no, okay, today is going to be the day. And they kind of just took all of their surroundings in and then trying to focus their like thoughts on like their memories back at like rash like their very very earlier ones that are now so salient try to like kind of pull into somebody there so your memories trail out it's almost like they seep out from around you and surround you starting as like threads but then eventually these bits of light organize themselves it's like using a string to make images and the images appear First of this town of Legrash, then of the figure that you're trying to ask about. And you go through a series of animals, you know, a bear, an owl, and then you finally end on Sneak. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'm a Sneak, Stratic Life. Jesus Christ. Hello. <laughs> 
Um... Salutations. Salutations. Uh, my, uh, my nomenclature is, is Misha Jarvis. What, what is... Misha Jarvis. Yes. What, what is yours? I, I believe I should introduce... I'm a snake. <laughs> snake. Okay. Well, nice to meet you, Snake. I, uh, well, it, this, this is going to be a little hard for me, you see. I, I'll try to keep it brief, but, um, well, you see, there is someone in Lake Rush that i forgotten about. It's a forgotten friend, more like a forgotten family, I suppose, and I would only like to know if you know if, if he's okay. Uh, his name is Fez, and I have not seen him in a while, but... I just, I just want to know if he's okay since I left, if he's still happy. Hmm. Answer very carefully. Face. You says. Fuck you. <laughs> yes, you, you, you know him. Face is an interesting dog man. Two months ago, FaZe let what the townsfolk call a killer into FaZe's house, and the townsfolk were not too keen on that. They barged down FaZe's door, but no killers were there. They confiscated the house and FaZe found himself alone. But rumors have it that FaZe reunited with a wraith from his past. Some dark cloaked figure known for wrangling blood barms. I forget her name. All I know is that he called her Gabby. And from what I can tell, those two have spent the past two months reuniting. Although Faze still wonders where that killer went. And he hopes that they are okay. I couldn't end with an S sound, I don't know. <laughs> no, that's fine. Are you okay, Hallie? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> to that after, Misha will just say, Oh, thank you for your information. That is all I needed to know. And then leave them. And then as they're leaving to themselves, they're going to be like, he, He's okay. He's healthy. And he remembers me. Okay, so hop. What? Before we get to your Nelly section, tell me your flex skill. What is your flex skill? I always forget to ask your flex skill. What What is Hop's flex skill for the day? Okay, so earlier I had a really good idea and I went back to my um, character sheet where I recorded that really good idea, but all I wrote was hazards, so I don't know what I meant. So <laughs> What does that mean? Is it like a hazard sign? Is it like... It's like hazards! 
it's like I don't know. I guess I was like avoiding hazardous situations, but that's just playing the game. You can't have a skill in just doing the thing you're supposed to do. So I don't know. How about how about maneuvering environmental obstacles? That's what we'll consider hazards. I like that. Thank you. Maneuvering environmental obstacles. So parkour. Uh, well, parkour is only with your hands and feet, though. He can do it with anything. Yeah. He can also like do it and be like, hey, Misha, there's a boulder in the way. Please move. Because I'm assuming Misha's still driving, right? Yeah. Misha won't give up the wheel unless people want, but if not, Misha is driving. Okay, so Hapanelli, you just got back from nearby town. The town was etched into the trees themselves. They were so thick. And they had this interesting kind of water that could actually... Water. This interesting kind of fire that actually... (laughs) The opposite thing. (laughs) Propped up the little, like, bubble it was in. So it was, like, a self-contained flame inside of this bog bubble. And you got a few interesting things from there. And by that, I mean, what did you get? What did you buy? Um, We probably needed food, right? Yeah. Yeah, like groceries. We had a little grocery list. Did we need stuff other than... Food? Um, I'm trying to think. I don't know, like, what? Dac tape to patch up the back of the ladybug? <laughs> oh, that's true. Oh, yeah. The back of the ladybug was chewed open by Anuki, Obsidian Anuki, when you were attacked on the Prodigious. Did you ever fix that, or did you... What did you throw over it? Was Dac it a... tape and garbage bags. Just like a giant tarp. We got, like, a better tarp. You got a better tarp. We got a better tarp. It's a middle-of-the-road tarp, but it's held together by Dac tape. By Dac tape. Uh, we got, like, a second tarp to put under it to make it a good tarp. A double tarp? A darp? We double tarped it because we thought that would be better than single tarping it. <laughs> but unsurprisingly, it just makes both tarps less stable. So it wasn't a great move, but we tried it, and now we have an extra tarp. There is nothing wrong with having an extra tarp laying around. Do we have spare tires? That may also have been on the list. It doesn't have tires. It doesn't have tires. It has legs. Oh, that's right. Step, step, step. Step. Um, do they need shoes? Are we out of shoes? <laughs> we need like sketchers. Like, but they're like spiky insect legs. Why would they wear I shoes? I was thinking like snowshoes <laughs> to go through the bog. Yeah, that works too. Well, no, hold on, hold on. What if we're like insects that move on the surface of fluids? Oh. Oh. Even though they do that because they're like they're very light. <laughs> Small. But what if science magic? How about this? The propeller beanie hovers you up high enough so that you're kind of like <laughs> running on water. Yeah. Like a buzzy insect. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's good. Okay. So you got all that. And that was just my segue to you also all got a cipher. So everyone roll me a d12, please. Oh, a d12. Oh, boy. Ah, no. I have now accidentally knocked two of my dice in the garbage, no. which ironically is where they belong. But like, <laughs> please come back. I rolled down 11. I rolled a five. Seven. Okay, so Tom, they bought for you a small bit of fruit that when put in the user's mouth, places them in a quasi-paralytic state that appears like death until the fruit is either swallowed or spat out. You need to eat more fruit. What the fuck? (laughs) Did you fucking read the label? It was all they had and we were worried about scurvy. (laughs) On this Romeo and Juliet bullshit. It was in the grocery store. This was mixed in with the bononos. Misha, 
you got a pair of rings that allows one wearer to control or guide the other wearer's hand. Ooh, that's fun. That's so much better than Romeo and Juliet fruit. <laughs> <laughs> so much. Yeah, you. I don't know why you got the ring. It's shiny. Oh, Misha likes shiny things. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty shiny. I, I was going to say that it's a very shiny ring. Yeah. Hop, you got something that is honestly kind of ugly, but feels oddly applicable for yourself. You have a candelabra yes. that has suction cups where the candles should be. <laughs> the fuck? Fucking yes! <laughs> and then finally, Ellie, you got a butterfly net. Ooh. That's it? It's just a butterfly net? It's like, just a just, butterfly just net. Just a butterfly net? Okay. The, the butterfly net has properties, <laughs> and I will, I will tell you those properties later. You do not know them right now. And in addition to these ciphers and other things you received... <laughs> You got a warning. As you were buying things, an old woman looked to you, Hop, and said, Now you beware those murderous hooligans who have been about. Murderous hooligans? Ooh, those murderous hooligans. Sorry, ma'am, um, can I ask for more information? <laughs> Don't keep going east or you will find them. Those murderous hooligans. And she just submerges back into the bog because that's where she came from. She just came out of the bog, said that, and then just. So it's more like those murderous hooligans. Hop will check his map. I assume that east is the exact direction we're going. Absolutely. And he just goes, huh, how about that? Folds it back up, puts it back in his pocket. Continues with his life. <laughs> well, I'm going to pass this on to Ellie, though. I'm going to ask, Ellie, did you see that? See what? The woman who just came out and warned me about murderous hooligans three times. <laughs> Does she know me? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if she wasn't talking about me, I don't know. Well, we're not supposed to keep going east, but... Well, we're going east, so... We're going east. So you go east. And you go... And you go, and it's it's pretty much gets back to usual. You know, Misha's driving, keeps probably taking their eyes off the road to look at shock. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Definitely. They've definitely even skipped stones once in a, in a while <laughs> together. You know what I mean. I'm, I'm referring to skipping stones. That's what I'm talking about. Ellie panics. Skip stones and chill. We're so deeply on our bullshit today. <laughs> is it because this is our first quarantine episode? The, the, the quarantine episode. It is our first quarantine episode. Ellie is panicking all around about everything. Cubo is helping navigate. Ness is supposed to be the one causing distractions. Well, well, every time um, Shock and Misha make googly eyes at each other, googly eyes that's not the right phrase i don't know what the right phrase is i think it's goo goo eyes but i prefer googly, googly eyes, eyes. <laughs> but no ness bought some googly eyes and he just sticks them on top of shock's face like on glasses and he's who they somehow ended up on the shopping list <laughs> I like to believe over the course of this trip, Ness has gotten every kind of novelty glasses that he could get. Like the ones with the swirly eyes, the one with the groucho uh, marks like at nose and mustache. Beagle puss. Probably because they're different everywhere, you know, and you got to collect them all. <laughs> Why do I hear a theme song in the background? I'm going to be the very Ness <laughs> like no one ever was. So it's funny you say that, Tom. Because you do suddenly hear music blasting out from speakers behind you. It's peppy and excited. It's kind of coarse 
as coarse as the rev of multiple race car engines. And you hear this song get louder and louder as you hear things brush through the woods, just knocking down the trees. And you see through the canopy, which is mysteriously, there have been some more fragments in it. So there's some light coming down. You see two vehicles with neon lights burst out from the woodwork and race towards you. DL6 music starts playing while we talk about... <laughs> yeah, like Ellie and, do, 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 and the Apocrypha, the heroes of Navarine. I guess please do it or not. It's do, all around do, the same time period, give or take, including Misha's age. Did you know the Statue of Limitations on Carl's murder is up in three days? <laughs> <laughs> and so once we're done with that and you're all done losing your shit in the chat... <laughs> Did you not see it yet? I was trying to recite the fucking plot. You were doing so well. It was such a good take. I like how Thomas muted himself. <laughs> Unnecessary feeling. Shut up. <laughs> of course. Of course, Ari brings it back to fucking Phoenix Wright. I'm so... Sorry, he said unnecessary, and that's the first thing that comes to my mind with that word. Take that. <laughs> <laughs> I need some hard evidence. Show me in the court record where Lowell lied to you. Why can't I show his profile? Why doesn't this game let me present profiles? Who's who's dishing out penalties in the ninth world? Who's the judge? Uh, it's Tommy. Gee. It's Tommy. I've decided. <laughs> no one wants that. Tommy fun judge. <laughs> that objection was trash, my dudes. <laughs> he's a real asshole. Yep. <laughs> but he's no longer a fun one. Mm -mm. He's a man asshole now. <laughs> He's an angry man, and that's never good. Oh. I'm sorry, he's a man asshole. Well, ready for ready for some rule 34, everyone? <laughs> no, please. The fan fiction just writes itself. But I was the reason I started giggling when you were like, she's the most single-minded and hate-filled part of the data sphere. I was like, all right, so the lady is 4chan. <laughs> oh god. Oh no, why? Why would you do this? Why don't I have a bunch of anonymous villains from the data sphere? I could have Anon. It'd <laughs> be perfect. It would it would fit the thing, like just a swarm of lost souls howling in the void. I made a mistake today. <laughs> <laughs>